Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I want to just remind all of you, it doesn't matter where you're listening from. I know we have a bunch of stations in Australia. We have folks in the UK, Canada. Here's what I want to say to all of you. As we get ready to celebrate our 11th year, we didn't celebrate 10 years of Transformation Talk Radio because 11 is like my number, and 16 years of the Dr. Pat Show. We're going to start to do things to remind all of you of how very special you are as an audience. Um, I've thought about this over time. And as we were getting ready to pull material together to reflect on the original show, Crust Busting Your Way to an Awesome Life, and you heard me share about moments in my life at that point where talking about depression for me was an understatement. And what happened thereafter is what today's show is about. But you, all of you, whether you're live listeners on our affiliate out of Seattle, whether you're podcast listeners, whether you download through iTunes or any of those other places, you are our inspiration for not just continuing on the path but for continuing on a path and providing you with powerful messages like the one today from Terry. It is the times we live in that requires extraordinary solutions and possibilities, but it doesn't happen unless we talk about what is real. And one of the hardest things for me to ever do outside of apologize to Benny 500 times for girls behaving badly right there (laughs) was telling parts of the story of my life stories that my family was so ashamed of you know stories of secrets about my grandfather's origin being born in Brazil stories that for almost decades until my dad passed away about my mom and what she went through and what was going on with her and how she really died. And the only reason I know about that is because my stepmom, what a beautiful woman, kept my mother's letters from Bellevue Hospital in New York. Now, if you don't know what Bellevue Hospital is, might be different today. It is the hospital that people get sent when they are mentally or emotionally unstable. But we're living in a time right now where Maybe you're 70, maybe you're seven, maybe you're anywhere in between, but there's something that's going on in your life. Maybe you have an addiction and you're afraid to talk about it. Maybe the stigma of what your experience or feeling becomes overwhelming and the shame 
just absolutely coats you with a level of low self-esteem. Maybe you wish there was somebody that you could relate to, a story of someone that understands we are humanity. And in humanity, we get to have a dignity. And sometimes that comes from talking about some of the things in our lives that we have literally wanted to keep in a bottle. Well, thanks to Terry, Terry Cheney, thanks to the body of work that she has done, not just the effort, the time, the reality, the uh, gut-wrenching radical honesty, but the messaging that she brings forward in a time in the world where we are not talking a handful of people. And so when I say that what she does is flips mental illness inside out, I wanna say inside out, upside down, forward, backwards, and let's shake it up like a little snow globe. This book, follow up to a previous one, maybe, Modern Madness, an owner's manual with Terry Cheney. The deal is this, parents, grandparents, they're watching things happen to their children they've never seen before. They don't quite understand, is this real? They don't know where to go. They know maybe it's a secret we should keep. Today, we are gonna turn that jar upside down and all of us are gonna stand tall, keep our heads up high, and I want everyone to know that there is a way now. And the shame that you may feel for yourself, your family, others in your family can be replaced with love and action. Terry is somebody that gets this at a visceral level. New York Times bestseller. You're going to hear a lot more. Been on radio, been on television you know, successful entertainment attorney, you name it. So the question then comes up, why this? Terry, it's great to have you. Oh, thank you, Pat. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you. So I want to start out with a little short, and I'm going to keep it really short because there's so much that, you know, I, I would love for you to share. For most of my adult life, and, and I did, that was a true story. You know, my mom was considered to be sick. And I grew up as a young child around a very loving mom. And I can go in and talk about that in, in more detail. And what I know now about her journey through her own words and her own letter was that even back then, especially I can only talk about women, when women were in a scenario of discomfort or or in a place where their life didn't make sense. You medicated them, hope they would stay quiet, but you didn't help them. Have we, fast forward to where we are now, what kind of progress do you think we're making there? Well, I think it reaches way back, uh, the whole notion of the mad woman in the attic from the 19th century. Uh, huh. It is a stereotype that women are somewhat hysterical and you need to medicate them out of it or somehow silence them. I think we've come a tremendous way. Even in the 20 years that I've been doing mental health advocacy, I think we've come so far. Um, we are beginning to talk about it. Not enough, but 
I think the recognition that mental health is physical health and needs to be treated with the same respect and compassion um, is finally getting across, certainly to young people. And I'm very encouraged by that. I am encouraged by that as well. You know, the mysteries of life put us on, how should I say it, the long and winding road. You know, for example, after my job loss, um, literally, I had a passion at a very young age to go back to school. And I got to tell you, I couldn't read and write. I mean, I stuttered most of my early years. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I knew at a very young age, and I turned to Linda and I said, you know, I got to get, I, I want to get a PhD. I'm 23, right? Barely, barely graduated high school. And Amazing. Linda just looked at me and said, you would. But it was a curiosity to understand the dynamics of what I was growing up with. You know, why were things happening? And, and I want to ask you this. There were things that touched me on the shoulder and still do to this day that catapult me to want to do more. What touched your heart, Terry? What was it where you said, you know, I need to do more about this thing we call mental illness? And then we're going to talk about that. What was that? Sure. I think it, it happened to me at a very early age. I knew I was different. I believe I've had bipolar disorder all my life. Mm-hmm. And I sort of was an outsider, even though I had this successful cheerleader facade, um, I always identified with the outsider and felt for them. I, I had an empathy for that perspective, and it made me, you use the word curious, it made me very curious about what makes us tick as a person, and my interest in psychology goes way back to even the sixth grade, I started reading Freud, and I just was fascinated by the notion of what is happening in our minds that make us act the way that we do. So it's been a lifelong passion. Here we are today. I work with women in addiction and recovery now. Um, You know, what I see, and of course, I'm not going to talk about much of it today, but what I do see is there is an element that's happening to people where they don't understand why their minds and their brains are working the way they do. Why is it one day they're up and one day they're down? Um, And you have now come forward and, you know, you've written so beautifully and brilliantly. Once upon a time, saying the word depressed was such a stigmatized thing to do, even in front of your therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. Have we progressed far enough to be able to have a conversation about depression? I think we have. I really do. I think depression is much less stigmatized than it used to be, and certainly Mm -hmm. right now, um, during COVID-19, I mean, you, you even have Michelle Obama coming out and saying, I have low-grade depression. I think more people than ever before in our history are coming to realize that their mental health is suffering right now. And I think that's brought a, a different kind of awareness to depression um, and to anxiety as well than we've ever had before. That's my hope. 
you know, one of the things I was really, really wanted to talk with you about is, um, and I want to jump to it for a moment uh, and make sure we cover it. And and that sure. is COVID-19. Um, sure. There's so many things and so many layers to what people are experiencing at many age, right? I mean, I hear right. from our senior community and I don't even have the right language, not in psychology, not in humanity, to explain what is happening to people that have pretty much been cut off. Do you think what we're going through now has been sort of this catalyst to accelerate our awareness of what what you're calling in the book Modern Madness? Yes, I do. I think it truly is going to be a, a different time when we emerge from this craziness that we're in right now. I think people will be more appreciative, uh, as I said, of their mental health and how mm-hmm. just essential it is to everyday functioning. I don't think we've given it the due that it deserves before. Um, there has been, you talked about secrets earlier, and... Yeah. I think the notion of, you know, we're not suffering in silence right now. We're, we're kind of suffering out loud. People are asking, how are you? And then they're asking, how are you really uh, during COVID? It's something we all can share and talk about. So I think it is a catalyst. It's a good word for it. Um, I'd like to skip the break for a minute, Terry, because, you know, this is such an important conversation Recently, we have heard the term, and I, I want to say recently, what I mean is recently in more of an open uh, open and public way, right? But for people right. that have gone through life and experience, what it means when they hear the words bipolar, of course, it has a personal meaning. We are hearing this more and more and more again, not just by a therapist or by books, but we're hearing it from people as a way to explain the dynamic of what's happening with them. Can you just share with folks that may or may not know that dynamic, what that looks like, not just from your perspective, but you share many stories here and as well as your other books. Sure. Bipolar disorder is a chemical imbalance in the brain that causes extreme swings of mood from um, very elated and euphoric and reckless to, uh, you know, very, very depressed. People are more familiar with the depressed part than the manic part. Um, but it, it affects 5.7 million people in the United States, but I know a lot more people seem to be using it these days than maybe are clinically diagnosed. Um we do seem to have something of a, of a, it's a trend in vocabulary to call something, you know, uh, bipolar, which is okay with me. A lot of experts don't like that use of the word bipolar, but I just think the more we talk about it, the better. And the more we, we broach the subject of mental health, however we do it, the better. I agree with you completely because I think we're way beyond, and let's talk about some of the new statistics. I think we're way beyond trying to do things right or correctly. And we have to get to the point where we're really speaking to the hearts and the experience of people. 
And right. you're right about that. There are some people in my profession that look and they say, oh, dear, dude, don't say that on air. And, you know, it's very real for some people. But let's take a moment if we could, because there might be folks listening that don't quite understand some of the statistics. I've shared a few of them. For example, I have shared the statistic about online purchase of alcohol now exceeding 600%. And there's a wow. reason I hear that. I know. Wow. I mean, talk about the perfect combination of things, right? Unbelievable. Um, but suicide, we're just not talking about this. You know, I've worked the hotlines. I know what they are. I don't know about where you live, but I will tell you the people I talk to, they are like, we cannot have enough people. What is your sense of what's happening, especially with calls to suicide, you know, and how would you describe this today? Well, I'll tell you, there was, there was an increase of a thousand percent in calls to suicide prevention hotlines when the lockdown started. So that should just give you an idea of what's going on. There was a, there was a suicide epidemic. It was called an epidemic even before COVID-19. The rates are just skyrocketing, particularly among young people. Um, in the world, another person dies by suicide every 40 seconds, which I, I just can't wrap my head around. So it is, it is more than just uh, individual tragedy. It's become a national and international trauma. You know, here you and I are, and I, I want to really get to this point. There's a reason that you and I are having this conversation. And I just wonder, I, I believe this is your third book. Um, I want to know, along the way, when you bring a message like this out, I mean, it's a powerful one, Terry, for sure. There's no question Thank about you. it for me. But there's Thank something you. that happens in, the, in, in not just delivering this and providing information and being an advocate, being a partner for people that, believe it or not, may not have the ability to stand up for themselves. How has this journey since your first book, how has this changed you and has it changed the direction in your message at all? That's a wonderful question. I started out life uh, for most of my life just keeping my mental health a total secret from anyone. I didn't tell my friends, my family, my coworkers, no one except my doctors about my bipolar disorder. And this was the entire time I was practicing entertainment law. I was very much in the public eye representing Michael Jackson and people like that. And when it came, when I finally wrote Manic, my first book, I was terrified about coming out of the closet. Um, I thought I would be ostracized, that I would never work again, that no one would ever love me. And I even, at one point the night before my book was supposed to come out, I thought of calling my editor and just, you know, calling the whole thing off if we could. But when it came out and it hit the bestseller list, I was inundated by messages of support and compassion and just congratulations from all over the world. It was amazing. Um, and that has resulted in me being able to tell people in my life that I'm bipolar and, and that I'm 
you know, I'm having a difficult time some days. So it's been an extraordinary journey and and, um, one that I never in a million years would have expected would happen to me. As we continue this, and, you know, and I was saying to you earlier, I read your book, and I really did get stuck on one of the questions in the book. Um, And, you know, I think it was in the part where you talk about the mind-body connection. Um, and, And as I was reading through the book, I was really stuck on this question that you ask. And it is whoever, whoever came up with, whoever came up with the term mental illness. <laughs> and I thought, it's such a given, right? That we don't stop yeah. to say, like, where'd that come from? And I just thought, wow, I'm with you. I'd like to meet him and smack him around myself. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Robin Williams had a great uh, contribution to that. He said, you know, mental illness is in the brain, and the brain is just a a three-and-a-half-pound organ, like any other organ, like your liver or your pancreas. And you wouldn't tell someone who was suffering from a malfunctioning liver to just, you know, snap out of it, make lemonade out of lemons. You wouldn't tell Stephen Hawking to just, you know, Get up out of that wheelchair and walk around. I mean, the stigma about mental illness just mystifies me because it truly is a dysfunction of an organ. So I I don't understand it. And by the way, those words, right, when you say them, left all alone to float around out there, right? Right. Whatever that means, float around out there. That means whether you see it in a Facebook post or you see it as somebody or hear it as somebody talking with you, it's, it's, these are loaded words. And at some point, have you found in your experience and people you speak with, have you found sort of this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I mean, this was a guy that did a study about the self-fulfilling prophecy in kids. And so what that means is, if you sort of have this idea and belief in a certain way about something, right, then right. you actually demonstrate that you are it. And then the consequence of that paradoxically is you say, see, I told you. Um, what I want to ask you about is this is something that either causes someone to stay in a place of despair or with the right help or reading your book, can latch on to hope and into action. What have you seen people do? And there's so many stories in your book, but what have you seen in this way to help people bust through the stigma of things and realize that they have an action on their own they can take? There are actually studies about that, about how does stigma uh, maybe push some people into you know, retreating and hiding out from the world, and it pushes other people into fighting it and becoming advocates. It's very interesting. Um, I think one of the things that we really have to look at and deal with is self-stigma, which is what I call bad bedtime stories that we tell ourselves about, you know, I'm just not good enough, Uh, I I failed at this, I didn't do, I wasn't productive today. Those things you say before you fall asleep about yourself that really uh, 
don't help and don't contribute to your mental health. Um, that is as big a thing we need to fight as public stigma because it really can make a tremendous difference if you believe that mental health is physical. You will look at yourself in a different way. I found when I got my bipolar diagnosis, my life suddenly made sense to me. I could understand all those periods of hiding out in bed, you know, only to be followed by periods of great productivity and um, inhalation that never made sense to me before. So it, it can cut either way. You know, I want to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk about this next visionary frontier. You know, this place where, as you're talking about everything, including relationships and what to do, you also have an amazing aspect of this that I love, troubleshooting. And I want to talk about this when we come back, because In the conversation, Terry, that you and I have is there is a bridge that we can build to get us from where we are to literally the life we really want. And you're helping us build that bridge. Before we get there, how do people find out more about you? And also, how might they get a copy of the book? Well, the book is available on Amazon, or you could ask your independent bookseller if they could order you a copy. Um, my website is my name, Terry Cheney, T-E-R-R-I-C-H-E-N-E-Y.com, and I have my email there if you need to get in touch with me. So that's how people can get either the book or me. So much to touch upon when we come back. Everything including the suicide rates of the LGBTQIA community. Um, and talk about what happens to people from all walks of life, what that means, what can be done about it. When we come back, we'll be talking with Terry about Modern Madness. That's the book we're talking about today. And I also want you all to know, please, you can give us a shout at 1-800-930-2819. If you don't want to come on air, please give Benny your question. And we'll get it on here for my very special guest today, Terry Cheney. When we come back... One of the things we'll talk about is what can we do? Because there is hope in action. We'll take a short break, everybody. Benny, we'll be right back. We all carry around fears, insecurities, and other unhelpful feelings. It would be great to be able to just put them down. One day, two Buddhist monks were on a journey. They came to a fast-flowing river and saw a young woman unable to cross because she couldn't swim. The older monk, without hesitation, offered to help her across the water. Hours later, the younger monk couldn't contain himself any longer. We're not supposed to have contact with women, and yet you helped that woman across the river. Why? The older monk replied, I put that young lady down hours ago. Why are you still carrying her? Hi, I'm Sarah Main, creator of Conscious Confidence, a timeless wisdom, and host of Conscious Confidence Radio. Learn how to put down those things of the past with my Fuse program. Buy my book, Conscious Confidence, today at ConsciousConfidence.com and get started. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? 
Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. Are you ready to awaken to your divine and true potential? Tune in to a Spirited Exchange Radio with me, Carrie Kadambi, every second and fourth Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. We discuss the evolution of the modern mind and how the power of awakening, healing, and connecting allows us to step into living a life of love in action. For more information about me, visit TheDivineGuidanceGift.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Learn how to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles share stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. If you want to find out more about me, you can go to the DrPatShow.com or Transformation Talk Radio. If you want to find out more about Terry, Terry, let's make sure folks know one more time how to get a copy of the book and also how to find out about you. Sure. You can get a copy of the book on Amazon or also ask your independent bookseller if they will order you a copy. And they can get a hold of me at my website, which is just my name, Terry Chaney, T-E-R-R-I-C-H-E-N-E-Y.com. And thank you for joining me here today. I want to talk about a couple of things as we start to move into this idea, as you call it in the book of troubleshooting. But before we go there, there are two points I I, I want to make. One is what we're really not talking about right now as well, which is the degree by which people are consuming alcohol and people from all walks of life, but also the differences between consuming alcohol by someone and consuming alcohol by someone as we know it uh, that may have and again I'll use the phrase because we do mental illness but another way to say it is how do we ensure the mental health of people how do we do things and share things and talk about things which will get people relief and help them build a life And, you know, let's talk about this before we get into troubleshooting. There is a dynamic that happens between, and I don't want to talk about drugs, but it's kind of the same. But right now, alcohol and what goes on with people mentally. Let's talk about that for a minute because it's not a perfect storm. It is a formula for disaster, in my opinion. 
It is, I'm so glad you brought that up. It is really one of the most important lessons that I learned on my journey was that if you drink alcohol, your psychiatric meds are not going to work because alcohol is a depressant. You're giving, and the same thing with street drugs, but particularly alcohol, you're giving your brain mixed messages if you're trying to to combine a depressant like alcohol with antidepressant pills. It just doesn't work. And I used to think that was just a suggestion that you shouldn't take the pills with alcohol, but it is an absolute, in my book, an absolute rule if you want to feel better. I didn't um, start really getting sane until I stopped drinking, and that was over 21 years ago. Um, so it's, it's a really bad combination, mental illness and substance abuse. They call it a dual diagnosis, and there really is not enough attention paid to it because that's where the problems really, really live in that combination of untreated mental illness and substance abuse. You are going, it, is, it is worse than a perfect storm, as you said. It is a certainty that there's going to be trouble. I want to ask you this question as we go into talking about troubleshooting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what I find is, and I and my heart really cries out, and I want to just talk about parents for a minute. And, and just to be clear, not everybody we're talking about is 18, a child, or a young person. So I just really right. need to be clear about this. A lot of times, especially right now, when we're talking about the modern day and age, we do focus on our, our youth, you know, our folks that are in that range of 21 or under, we do focus on that. But this is something that knows no age boundary. And I don't think people realize that, right? Right. No, or race or gender or nationality. No, this is across the board. I want to talk with you about this idea of troubleshooting, because you could have called this part of the book anything. I love that you called it this, by the way, Terry. <laughs> really do. Thank I mean, you. I, I love let's it get too. down and get some stuff done here, right? Um, right. There are a lot of things here. What do you find are, number one, you know, what are your top three things that people absolutely should know, but perhaps are really not talked about very often? What have you found in in this troubleshooting aspect? I have a a new cause, I'm calling it, which is five little words. Um, If you're dealing with someone who's struggling with mental illness or maybe you're quarantined with someone who's going through a rough time like never before, there are five little words to sit them down and instead of giving them advice or telling them to, you know, just snap out of it, say, tell me where it hurts. Tell Me Where It Hurts is an amazing discovery of mine that um, if you just let them talk about the darkness inside them, some of it will come out into the light and hopefully dissipate. And they will feel, instead of feeling judged and guilty about not being able to take your well-meaning advice, um, they will feel listened to and loved and realize that the world is not devoid of all sympathy. And that's a world someone can want to live in. 
So it makes a tremendous difference. I've seen it happen over and over again. Tell me where it hurts. That's my number one favorite cause right now. I love that you're doing that because let's just, we were talking about this during a break a minute. I love Mm -hmm. that you asked that question. And also there is a message for the person that does ask that question. And this is really, you know, also part of what you talk about in the book is people may say some things to you that may affect you personally. They may talk about you. They may say really what hurts. How do we help those people that ask that question receive what's being said? It can be difficult to just say, tell me where it hurts, and then sit back and listen. First of all, it goes against all our ingrained uh, impulses to try to fix the problem. Particularly, I don't want to overgeneralize here, but particularly for men, it can be very difficult. And you, what you may hear may be bleak and it may be dark because a, per, a depressed person's um, view of the world is, is going to be rather bleak. Um, but you have to remember you're doing this as an act of love and you're doing, you're doing this as a weapon against something that could kill your loved one. You have to always remember those statistics, those 40 people die every, uh, somebody dies every 40 seconds statistic. Um, it's very important to keep suicide in mind these days. The thing, too, that I want you to really talk about, and you, you do this beautifully, there are a couple things in this troubleshooting section. When I read it, I went by and I, and I looked through it. Um, and I thought, wow, she is really, she is really letting a genie out of the bottle here, right? And I went through some of this, and you can almost see, you can almost recognize. But the other thing is, you share these beautiful stories, these examples, right? You share right. stories about people singing. You share stories about impulsivity, right? You share right. stories about the web obsession, And these are the things that, this is really a guidebook, Terry, because when folks read this, they will be looking through a new lens. Was that your intention? And let's talk about some of these new lens changers. That was absolutely my intention. And I'm so happy that that came through for you because I think, you know, stories are the conduit to truth, I believe. People are willing to listen to stories where they're not willing to listen to advice. I, I have I have a hate on for advice right now because it can be just so belittling and frustrating to hear. So if you tell a good story that maybe has a lesson at the end, it's like Aesop's fables. You know, it just it's timeless. And some of the things that I recommend most particularly right now, uh, I am on my own quest to develop self-compassion. I think that's something that is really lacking in our society and certainly for people with mental health problems is just to have some recognition that what you're going through is really hard objectively and you're allowed to feel bad and you're allowed to 
have somebody else worry about you. And knowing that you're worth it can really make all the difference. Just knowing that you're you're worthy of mm-hmm. your own compassion. Boy, you just nailed it. Because one of the you know, one of the offsets of this when someone is experiencing this they're not sitting there thinking no matter how they're stepping through, they're not coming through thinking I am the most confident person on the planet. No, you know, I've got this. I am the one that's got all the answers. They may look like that on the outside, but that is not the case. And, you know, you're talking about compassion in the three levels, emotionally, spiritually, and, you know, sort of in the physical realm. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to teach that a little bit too, though. <laughs> it doesn't come easily. It's something no. I've been working on in, for the past six months or to a year in therapy. And boy, we really have, you know, our defenses are up against self-compassion. I don't know why, but um, it isn't the easiest thing in the world to say, I'm allowed to feel this way. It doesn't, it's not second nature. You know, look, there's a couple things in here I snapped to and realized immediately. I want to get to the the book, the part in the book where you talk about the world in an uproar noise. It's what yeah. it's called, the world in an uproar, uproar noise. Now, look, how many times have you heard, maybe, or I've heard, or other people have heard, or we've heard other people say to other people, I don't know why you just can't snap out of it. I don't know why you just can't behave the way you're supposed to behave. You know, I don't know why you can't clean your room. I don't know why I find, you know, potato chips in your clothes. I mean, <laughs> this, this is usually that you're laughing because, right, I'm right, right? It's so true. Yeah, right? absolutely. Right? It, yeah, it, it's like the mom that goes over to kid's house and goes to use the bathroom is no toilet paper. Right. In the bathroom. Of course. And and the question is, you got to be kidding me. How did you not have toilet paper in the bathroom without <laughs> understanding that the child, teenager, whatever it is, is actually, this is a real story. The person's like 30. The person oh has my. a methodology and has whatever that is. We call them phobias, whatever you want to call it. But there's a certain way of being for people. And this particular way of being is, yeah. I bring my toilet paper in when I need it and I take it out. <laughs> right, exactly. We are all we all have our programming after a certain age, I think. And you know, there needs to be respect for that. Yeah. Um except when it when it devolves into, you know, really being dangerous for someone, um, like using alcohol or drugs. I mean, then I think the programming needs to be interrupted. Right. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, One of the things that, you know, we could talk about something like this and certainly go through the book. And, you know, people will need to read the book to understand that we're talking about not just troubleshooting, but we're talking about now, wow, okay, now we're on track. How do we stay on track? One of the things that we hear over and over again, and by the way, Terry, it's played out in our pop culture. It's played out in our movies quite a bit where all of a sudden you see somebody change and in your view, positively change, but they can't maintain it. There have been so many movies written about, well, all you need to do is be able to grow a plant. All you need to do, you name it, 
there's that thing only to get to the place in the movie where oopsie they couldn't do it you cover this in maintenance i would love for you to talk about not only how important this is but how often this is left undiscovered by both people that are walking this walk and people that are in their lives well, maintenance of mental health is going to involve um, being really accepting of your diagnosis in the first place, um, acknowledging it as a part of your programming, as we discussed earlier. And when you do that, it's much easier to adhere to your doctor's recommendations, Um I get very frustrated with the stereotype that people just go off their meds because they're feeling so good. I know it happens, but what people don't understand is it's really hard to be on a lot of these psychiatric medications. Yes. It can it can cause side effects. It's expensive. It's, it's very difficult to keep track of them because there's usually more than one. And it's rather heroic, people who are on psychiatric medication you know, faithfully, I have great admiration for them because they are they are fighting a battle that most people don't understand. You know, as we as we talk about this, and and of course, this is you know the journey that you have so courageously said yes to. And what I mean by that, Terry, is not just a journey of sharing this, but it's also to become an advocate to help all of us understand and to be able to do the things we need to do. I want to ask you this this question. You know, as you look ahead, and I know these books get written, you know, whenever they get written, right? Like what, a year ago, whenever. But as right. you are where you're sitting now, what will be the next message from you? What have you learned from moving to where we are today in the world? What you included in this book? And what a message might be that may or may not be in this book. You know, it's very interesting you ask that because I have been looking toward the future lately. And I am feeling compelled to write about the dual diagnosis uh, because I don't think it's... it's, um, There are a lot of stories about recovery or I was an alcoholic and then I got better. But combining it with mental illness is... all is a kaleidoscope of problems and perspectives. And I think it really does need to be out there, what that journey is like. Um, I mean, you would not believe how far from grace I fell um, just because of alcohol and the combination with my bipolar disorder. It's shocking to me, and I think it will be shocking to other people. So that's what I'd like to address next, I think. I would encourage you to do it. You have my full support because, you know, I mean, I'm familiar with this as well, especially let's talk about some of the nuances of what that means. So when we're talking about dual diagnosis, for those of you out there, you know, many of you are not familiar, maybe what, what it means to enter recovery or to really do something about your addiction, whether it's drug, alcohol or anything else. But this idea of dual diagnosis means that, yeah, there is this addiction that's going on here, but then there's this other thing going on here, right? Right. And it affects you emotionally, perhaps psychologically, chemically, imbalance, all of the above. And when you put 
those two together but by themselves terry they're enough they're enough yeah they're enough but when you put them together it's hard to describe the impact yes and so often the addiction to whatever whether it's food or you know whatever thing that you don't want to be addicted to spending um it arises as an attempt to self-medicate because of your mental illness because of your depression or your uh, anxiety, whatever you're going through. And unfortunately, it just makes it worse because you get into trouble and then you have to deal with that on top of dealing with your um, mental health. So it really becomes this very complicated picture. And the problem is most people don't get treated for both. They'll go into a, you know, Let's say they go to Betty Ford and they get treated for alcoholism, but the underlying mental illness remains untreated. And it's just so essential to have both addressed at the same time. And I, and I believe me, I encourage you. I mean, there's also the conversation that needs to be had about what happens if you're in one of these other programs, whether it is a 12-step right. program or not. And there is a conversation that happens in those programs where, you know, some people don't understand this, the dual aspect of this. And there are oh some guidelines, right? You know what I mean? And there's these rules yeah. and these guidelines like, no, you can't take any medication. You Seriously? can't take medication if you want to be sober. How many times did I hear that in my journey? And it's Uh-oh. absurd. If you look at the AA literature, it, it completely contradicts that as long as you're taking medications under a doctor's supervision and according to his direction, you can maintain your sobriety. And I'm proof of that for 21 years. And I feel very strongly about it, as you can tell. And I feel very strongly about it as well, because I think that I'm with you. These guidelines weren't set like that. And as a matter of fact, those programs talk about the fact that the next frontier has got to be emotional sobriety and understand, you know, what happens. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about we're embedded in this program in the way it is, but that's never the way the founders meant it. No, of course not. Right. Bill W.'s last letter really points to it and basically says everything's got to change except for anonymity. But this particular thing, I hope you do write about it. I hope you do. And I hope it does become a blueprint for the people that are on either side of that, whether you're someone that's experiencing it, right, Terry, or you're someone that is working with someone experiencing it. Right. It's very confusing. It's not like it's easy to, uh, it's an easy issue. It really does need to be pieced apart and put back together. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things will have to change in in the Mm -hmm. recovery process. system so to speak but it's beginning to happen it's not that it it isn't addressed but it it is it's slow to take to you know to gain momentum in my opinion it is slow but i think that it's because of people like you and you know and and us talking about this today is one of the things that will change is to provide information to say things that people don't want to say and i really would encourage you like in your spare time to write that book because dual diagnosis once upon a time was an anomaly. It's right. not anymore. Right. And you, I love the AA saying that you're only as sick as your 
secrets. That sort of has become my motto. And I think That's it's right. just so wise and so lovely that you are only as thick as your secrets. Yeah. Well, Terry, I got to thank you for this. And there are so many things that you've included in the book that, you know, people will be able to read about. And this is one of these books that, my gosh, I wish we did more education with our youth in this way. I wish there was a way, especially the work you do, to bring families together in a safe, non-confrontational place and let people experience that true level of honesty that could set them free. Please give out your website again. Let folks know how they can find out more about you. And I would love to know your personal message for us today. Thank you. Um, my website is my name, Carrie Chaney, T-E-R-R-I-C-H-E-N-E-Y.com. And I think my personal message to people would be that hiding a secret is worse than the secret itself. 99.9 times out of 100, hiding a secret is going to be worse than what you're actually hiding. So trust in other people and trust in yourself to have some compassion uh, for what you're going through, because these are not easy times. But I think we won't emerge from these times unchanged, and I believe that's grounds for hope. Well, I look forward to what your next passion, purpose, and message will be, Terry. I want to thank you so much for taking on a conversation that very few are willing to have. And I also want to thank you for being open about your story and your journey. Because a friend said to me, you can't take a person to a place you haven't gone yourself. And certainly, that has been your walk and your walk of life. And I look forward to what you'll do next. I'm very excited about it. Thank you so much. And I have just really enjoyed our conversation. Well, everybody out there, Modern Madness, Terry Cheney, um, please reach out, find out about Terry, find out about the work that she's doing to help carve that pathway out for your walk of freedom. Thank you, everybody, for tuning us in and turning us on. If you want to find out more about me, please go ahead and go to the drpatshow.com or go to transformationtalkradio.com. And one of the things I do want to leave all of you with from um, the book that we're talking about here, from the idea of this notion, this is a day and age we all live in. This is the day and age that we can help each other This is the way that we walk. And the quote that Terry puts in the book is from Thomas Edison. Edison, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. And you may stumble. You may have to go to another way. But if you know anything about Edison, we light up the world because of not giving up. 